Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I'm Imogen Watson, Work and Inspiration Editor. Coming up in today's episode, we'll hear from Leo Burnett's Charlie Rudd on winning Campaign's Creative Agency of the Year and DCM's Karen Stacey on taking home the CEO of the Year Award at the Female Frontiers. Then, Ogilvy's Dan Fisher and Netherlands' Noel Hamilton will join to review some of the latest ads. But first, we'll start by discussing some of the latest news with Gertrude Deegan, our creativity and culture editor. Welcome. Hello. Hi. In the news this week, John Lewis Partnership has drawn up a shortlist for its creative agency review, with Saatchi and Saatchi London, Wonderhood and WPP vying for the account. We understand the review kicked off in February and chemistry meetings took place earlier this month. Gurdjieff, what's your predictions? Which agency do you think has what it takes to follow Adam and Eve DDB's lasting legacy? Uh, gosh, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a conversation we keep having in the office. So. Uh, yeah, but, you know, first question on the podcast. Thanks, Imogen. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Hi, welcome. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty big shoes to fill, right? Um, it's an interesting pitch list. Not one that I actually would have put together. No, because I think a lot of us were expecting Uncommon to go on the to be yeah. on the list. AMV. Uh, AM, oh yeah, AMV. Um, I guess there's a lot of issues. I guess with like people because it's food and with the Waitrose and then John Lewis, the sort of department store part of it. A lot of clients wouldn't allow people to pitch on. Yeah, it. a lot of conflict. But also, let's not forget there's the Sainsbury's pitch going on as yeah, well. Exactly. So yeah. um, who's like mothers on that? So you know, you, you perhaps would have expected mother to be on John Lewis, although maybe not actually because of IKEA. So, 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 so like that, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Um, so naturally, you, you, you've got like a, um, a smaller pool of agencies that you can go to, I guess. Um, it's hard, isn't it? This is, yeah. I think this is quite a hard one. Um, I was speaking to somebody not totally, not involved at all, um, earlier about this and they thought the, the list was a bit unimaginative but then I was like well who else would you have on it and everyone this person mentioned couldn't give you the answer no of course not because well like we say there's the um uh conflicts isn't there so but yeah so we obviously we saw there's a whole kind of bigger thing happening at John Lewis well yeah this week the, uh, the weekend that Sunday Times they reported on the fact that obviously the business they're considering removing the partnership side of things. Obviously, the business isn't doing so well. Um, yeah, so the, I, th- I think their results were out last week, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, on the 16th and, of March, yeah. Yeah, so that was, what, pre-tax loss of $234 million. Um, Gosh. It's only for the second time that they haven't had a bonus. Oh, um, they didn't have a bonus? Oh, I didn't, no. I missed that. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, like the the... the it's such an institution. I know. Um, is it, is another Marks and Spencer's in a way where it's just like you feel hurt a little bit when they don't do so well and it's ridiculous because they're a business, um, but you just want, you, you're rooting for them. Yeah. I think the question here is that, you know, the creative review, should 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 that be going on while the business is so, in, in, it needs, you know, a, a real kind of real work on, I guess it's, it's, they need an agency to help them be future fit, right? I mean, it's a big task in the sense that they're filling, following on from um, Adam and Eve, which is, you know, probably the most famous partnership in advertising that we've known recently. And then also they've got this huge bubbling away business problems in the background. So 
Yeah, so is it a WPP kind of thing? Is it a publicist? Oh, sorry, Wonderhood. Wonderhood has the, the fact that they've got Aidan McClure behind it, who's obviously created Bear in the Hair. But I guess in that sense, the style would be very much maybe perhaps what John Lewis is trying to move away from. I think Charlotte Rawlings mentioned to me about the Branston Pickle ad that Wonderhood did being very inherently. Um, but that maybe is that's not what they're looking for. Who knows? They may split it. May split it. That seems to be a theme at the minute. Yeah, the all win one, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I think the conclusion is we don't know. <laughs> but we're intrigued <laughs> to find out. Um, and I assume because they've got a, they've already started with their Christmas campaign for next year, that it won't be a very long uh, review on the creative. We might be reporting back very soon on the winner. Um in other news, Tesco and Bartle Bogle Hegarty are once again causing a stir at the Advertising Standards Authority. Um, Gurdjieff, why is their recent ad filled the power to lower prices with Tesco Club Card drawn 58 complaints? Oh my gosh, I was surprised it got 58 complaints. 58, yeah. That's a lot, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, what, what it was this uh, it was the ad with the woman walking had she done her shopping and she'd like saved? She'd used her Tesco club card points, yeah. She was having, you know, she was having a great time. But then this weird kind of like <laughs> face happens. Um, and that's what people said they did. They say they found it scary, frightening, uh, frightening. Scary. frightening. Yeah. I, I always find, find it. Um, did you find it frightening? I didn't I really frighten me. <laughs> um, and I'm usually quite a scaredy cat. Same. Um, I didn't find it frightening. I find um, Twitter's quite a great litmus um, test for people's p- opinions. You just have to sort of go on TweetDeck and Google Tesco, and then you can see everyone losing their shit. <laughs> being like, <laughs> it's so scary. Um, I wonder if this I guess is a case of like, you know, a couple of people um, uh, complained and then it kind of spiraled. I don't know. Is it really that bad? I don't think so. And I feel like they've had an unfair rap because, as I mentioned previously, you know, they've also all caused a stir previously uh, when their Christmas ad uh, with Father Christmas using his vaccination passport uh, got 5,000 complaints in 2021. So, yeah, it's not the sort of you wouldn't expect VBH and Tesco to be causing such a stir. Um, but yeah, every time there's a complaint story, it sort of draws the question of how ad regulations um, affect creativity. But with this particular story, the complaint is, is very subjective. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's a great ad, but I don't think I agree with whether that should means it should be banned. I don't think I don't think it needs banning. I don't, I don't think it's scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ASA hasn't banned it, has it? They, they've... They're, I think they're reviewing it, but it doesn't look likely that they would ban it. Mm, I don't know mm. if there's a rule for things being terrifying by a subjective choice. I don't know. Um, I'm sure we'll find out soon. Yeah, again, <laughs> all of this is up in the air. Thank you, Gurdjieff. That's all we've got time for. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Now, it was a busy day at Campaign HQ last Thursday. At lunchtime, we hosted the fourth edition of our Female Frontier Awards, a welcome opportunity to champion women in the UK marketing, advertising, media, and tech industries. Digital Cinema Media's Chief Executive, Karen Stacey, won CEO of the year. Then the brewery venue had a quick changeover, transforming into Agency of the Year awards for the evening, with Leo Burnett winning Creative Agency of the Year 2022. So next up in the campaign podcast, it felt fit to invite Karen Stacey and Charlie Rudd Chief Executive Leah Burnett to come and chat. Welcome. Congratulations are in order. 
Thanks, Imogen. Yep, still, still, still haven't stopped smiling. <laughs> I'm sure. Karen, how did it feel to win CEO of the year? It felt very humbling. It was obviously a great, a great lineup, and it's um, and credit to you guys for, you know, awarding. Sometimes I think you really sort of you get the behaviour reward, and I think you get you reward what you really value. So it's great to see that both of those things are being done. So it was, um, no, it was as Charlie said, a lot, a lot of smiling. Well, on that note, what's the mood been in the agency, Charlie, since Thursday? I'm sure there was a lot of sore heads on Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people feeling sorry for themselves on Friday morning. <laughs> um, but uh, no, but it's been a terrific mood. Um, I think a lot of people were trying to see when Leo Burnett last won it. Um, and I think the best data we got was someone thinks we came third in the non, in the nineteen nineties. Um, okay, so, it's, a big, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, no, so so, wow. so um, no, but I don't know. If, I, I'm not sure if that's factually true. But um, no, I think everyone feels great. I think everyone knows we had a good year last year, but we also know we're on a journey. You know, to use the cliche, but we're we're sort of um, we're trying to do something. We're trying to write a great chapter in this in in this amazing amazing agency brand's history and. Um, and uh, it, it was it it means a heck of a lot having that external recognition for what we're doing. Um, so there were a lot of people feeling very good about where they're at, but but equally they were getting on with their work to be honest as well, because <laughs> because everyone's quite busy. They don't have too much fun. Yeah, exactly. No, but we're going to try and have a good do uh, tomorrow Thursday night. Do you find Charlie as well? I think we're all guilty of we do loads of analysis when things go wrong. And we do a lot less when things go right. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think in a way, I think that's a very good point. And I think it, it does make you sort of go pause and try and understand where we, where we are and what we've got to. Um, um, and, and as you said, there, you do need to take a moment to celebrate and recognise what we've all achieved together. So, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, um, and also it gives you confidence that you are on the right tracks. Like I said earlier, it's nice to have you both on on such a positive note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Karen, you've got had a 35-year that spanned TV, radio, digital and magazines. So can you just talk our listeners through a bit of your background into your venture into cinema? So I have been sort of lucky enough to be in media all that time and always on the media owner side. And to be honest, loved every minute of it because everyone has been quite a journey um so in every organization i've worked in there has been it's been a bit of a first so when i was at emap we created emap advertising which was a first i was at channel four right at the beginning in sort of 1992 when they first um created started selling their own airtime which everyone said was doomed and now look at where it is now um and i think on cinema i was so our chairman is a chap called nigel sharrocks who is a, a probably a sort of a veteran of the media industry and probably the wisest person I know. And um, I think he felt that everything was, I don't know, it felt like cinema was hiding its light under a bushel. So when he was speaking to me, I was sort of saying, I think we've got this all wrong. I think this is, we're almost like back to the future for cinema. So its main, uh, its strongest selling points are getting stronger, not weaker. So I jumped at the chance to sort of, I guess I'm a real believer in um, just creating a great story and then telling it well, which I think great brands, that's that's what they do. And making something, the world had gone very complicated and actually going back to what we need for 
people to change people's mind about brands or things, get them to do stuff is great entertaining advertising that they watch. And context has never been more important. Um, And I don't believe it's all about just reaching the people. I believe I'm a big believer of context works harder, makes advertising work harder. And I think it was bringing those principles back in a modern world. So, Charlie, you've talked about, obviously, Leo Bennett's on this sort of journey. Um, You want to create this big chapter. I'm sure Winning Agents of the Year is is a great chapter within that book. Um, but when you joined Lear Burnett in 2019, um, what position was it in? Um, and, and can you talk a little bit about how you're building up the business from when you started? Sure, sure. Um, well, actually, to use the campaign school reports, obviously, very significant metric. And I, I certainly mean that seriously. I think you, you do look at those things. And I think it's interesting that you've just done the historic, the archiving, I think, is really um, for nerds like me. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, no, but to, to put so, so, so factually what when i arrived uh you know, almost exactly four years ago leo's had just got four um in the uh, campaign uh, school report and um what i found was an agency obviously an amazing agency brand name uh, and lots and lots of really good things but but i think what i don't think we were very clear about uh was our proposition um Weirdly, you know, given how important propositions are in advertising, I don't think we were very clear about what the Leo Burnett proposition was. And I think when I looked into the the DNA of the company, of, of actually Leo Burnett and actually the history and, and also, you know, what Leo Burnett has been about in the UK, it was very clear to me that the thing that we had that we were special about, that we'd slightly lost focus on, was populist creativity. And that was just something that back back in the day from you know, Cadbury's Milk Tray Man through to Jolly Green Giant and Kellogg's and Tony the Tiger, all the way through to the modern day with still obviously with Kellogg's and McDonald's and the like. The, the, there's, there's a truth to what Leo Burnett is, has historically been great at. And I think it was about having the confidence just to focus on what we're great at. And, um, and also, it's, it's also something that appeals to me. I love what we do as an advertising industry when we reach the greatest number of people and hopefully through creative genius, solve business problems and help clients, you know, make a lot of money. I I think it was just being confident about focusing on that, recognizing the brilliant talents that were there and a bit more refocusing around that. And obviously working for Annette is, you know, someone I'd worked for before, working for Annette King at Ogilvy was someone I'd worked for before and I was keen to work for again because she's great. Um, And she gave me the space to do what I felt I needed to do, build a great team and, um, yeah, hope start to make some progress. So that's that's from a school report point of view. I think we got to six the following year. We've had a couple of sevens and hopefully Imogen, hopefully more than that in the future. That's the aim. <laughs> Karen, our female Frontiers judges said you turned around the challenge of COVID-19 into one of the industry's biggest success stories. Cinema scenes were closed for 16 months and revenues obviously dried up as a result. Can you talk our listeners through your overall experience? How did you overcome it? How did you sleep? Uh, not a lot of sleeping. So I, um, <laughs> so I think there's some big learnings over it, which is, um, I mean, the fact that we had no revenue, March 20th, 2020 to May 17, 2021, not that I'm still reeling, um, so I think you have to, you have no choice but to act quite drastically. So in some ways, it's, you know, I've seen a lot of companies um, just, is sometimes you feel like it's death by a thousand cuts. So when you're, you had a real adversity, we had to make some big decisions very quickly. 
the government's furlough scheme obviously was a lifesaver for us and we acted really drastically and I think I'm I'm a big planner and I think what I learned was the muscle of reacting very quickly to new news is the one you have to exercise the most so we had we were going to be open then we weren't we were going to have a bond in October then we weren't so we had it was like our poor people were doing like the okie dokie they were like in and out but being decisive and being communicating clearly was probably what I learned as a skill. I also learned that people can deal with honesty really well. I think that's right, Karen. I, I, I mean, just hearing you talk, I feel I felt COVID made a lot of us much better leaders than we were before, much better in terms of our communication. But also I, that point around actually much more transparency, honesty, that perhaps we weren't like that before. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think we probably, I think, so I have a saying, which is I always try to be tough on the issue and gentle on the people. And I think separating the issues from the people was really important. And also I learned as well that that everyone, it was a really tough time and everyone suffered, you know, in different ways. So we had, so I had 76 people and we furloughed 66 And we had 10 people just trying to keep the business going because we just didn't, we just couldn't run out of money. And so when I was doing my town halls, I was doing lots of praising of the 10 people working because, you know, on the scheme of things, you're sort of on the face, you're going, oh, got furlough, 80% and, you know, not being at work. And one of our really good guys at our place called me and he said, you must be really grateful for all us on furlough. So I was a bit like, oh, wow, why Why do you say that? He said, because I would give anything to be working right now. I would do any, I'm in my flat on my, if you remember those times you weren't allowed out. So I just thought, oh, God, yeah, everyone is putting their own weight in a different way. So then I flipped my narrative a bit to sort of say, yeah, everyone's playing their part, including the people that are on furlough, not, you know, just everyone is, doing all this together because and my big message was my only job for everybody is to keep this company as healthy as possible so when we return we get we 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 lead with a bang and the other so we had to make some tough decisions on um redundancy and the other decision i made was we kept senior people and we let junior people go and the reason for that was, so we had to have a lot more tougher conversations because it's a bigger number of people. It's not just like, oh, well, if you get rid of three really senior people, you save a lot of money. It's because my view was when we come back, we have to hit the ground running and the senior people can do junior people's work, but you can't do it the other way around. And I think that's why we recovered very quickly because uh, we all were doing everything, you know, just because we had no junior people in the business to do any sort of assistance kind of work so we all did everything and the other thing I think you'll remember Charlie there was quite a it was quite an employees market at the time yeah yeah. so people were going and getting other jobs and I'm trying to keep senior people convincing them being being on furlough was a good thing (laughs) and they were guaranteed to have a job when they came back and they were guaranteed to have it and 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 we just didn't know. I think my worst moment was we'd closed in December 2021. We just set a budget for 2021 and then we announced we were closing. And then in March, when Boris did his 
road to freedom, he announced that cinemas were going to be open on May the 17th. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's another three months away. That's the whole, that's half a year again that we've had, you know, no revenue. And, but I have to praise the team. Everyone really, like anything, a new sort of university really stuck together. It's so bizarre hearing it again. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't even that yeah, long ago, it but it's so bizarre. No, no it, it feels like it's really, it just feels yeah. like from years ago, doesn't it? But yeah, it's yeah. only a year ago. Exactly. Yeah. Thank God for furlough, because Lord knows what you'd do otherwise. Charlie, your Leo Burnett's video entry uh, for Agents of the Year was brilliant. Um, we've been sharing it around the <laughs> team. <laughs> Everyone just thinks it's great. Well, we, 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 we're meant to be good exactly. at Exactly, you'd hope so. so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. What, what, can you tell me what you did, Charlie? Uh, yeah, it's so secret. No, um, so... Um, <laughs> No, I mean, essentially, you know, obviously we did our submission and it was just essentially about distilling the submission into um, uh, into a film that told the story, hopefully in a vaguely entertaining and amusing way. And uh, and obviously then set to a great track, which is basically advertising. Um, so, um, no, so... You'd hope you could do it. Yeah, exactly. No, and, and it was, yeah, it was just to bring it to bring to life our submission and... Um, and uh, no, I'm pleased you liked it. I'm pleased you liked it. Yeah, because it really hits home. You've touched on this already about how populism runs through all the work that the agency produces. So yeah. could you talk a bit more, I guess, about how the team carries us through their work? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because I think we're sort of almost deliberately trying to reclaim, and perhaps obviously in vain, that things that used to be populist were good. <laughs> it was a way of growing business. And obviously it's been... It's totally, you know, for you know, for the reasons, you know, it's been it's been become a, actually a negative force, uh, or perceived to be. But actually, obviously, if you're trying to grow brands and growing businesses, then reaching the widest possible group of people with hopefully powerful creativity is a pretty good thing to do. And um, and it also shapes. It's I think it's true to us as a group of people about what motivates us, what we, what excites us. I think we're not as a group of people and as an agency, we, to be honest, we're not that excited about niche marketing and, and or, or sort of luxury goods or, you know, we, we like reaching as many people as possible with brands and, um, and, uh, and with our work. And I think perhaps within that, perhaps we're fame junkies. We love people, lots of people, all our family seeing our work. And, and so, and, and so, so, so we want to do stuff that's famous um, and everybody sees it. So I think that that sort of runs through us as people and obviously through our clients as well in terms of what they need from a business point of view. Um, but it also shapes everything about the kind of agency you want to be and the sort of the vibe of the agency because you're not trying to be a sort of a university. You're not trying to be highbrow. You're trying to understand, you're trying to reflect the population of the UK as much as you can in the diversity of your workforce and into the type of clients you work with and the sort of stimulus and the inspiration you get. And, you know, we run things, for example, we run things regularly called a thing called Pop Fest, which we love getting people like from the music industry, the TV industry and other places in just to talk about how they reach the biggest numbers. And, and that's just interesting for us. That's a brilliant inspiration about, you know, what makes a great track these days in the music industry. And that's fascinating, some things you can learn because it does impact in sort of what you think creatively, how advertising might land. Uh, successfully so so I think it's just it's it it is in our it is in our DNA and then obviously we're you know I'm lucky to have as my creative partner Chaka Spani who's a who's obviously 
brilliant, but, you know, spent 10 years at ITV, you know. And so, again, sort of the, just a brilliant frame of reference for populist creativity, but there's outside advertising. And, and um, so it's just, it's, and, and, and obviously, as these things build, you become hopefully more, more um, proficient at it, more successful at it, and, um, and then hopefully more attractive to other clients, um, and, and hopefully you keep raising the bar internally. Charlie, do you think that, that we are moving slightly away from sort of purpose-driven advertising and actually looking at the recent stuff, the great entertaining advertising is is what moves businesses. It's a, yeah, it's a really it's a really good question. And the reason I laugh slightly is I've literally just come out of a meeting where we we're talking about using the entertainment word, the entertainment word. And and, and I think it's uh, I mean I do I do think businesses and brands having a purpose is a very important and a useful thing from a from a creativity from a creative point of view. I think it can help brands dif- just be distinctive. Um, I think the danger is when it becomes almost sort of just the default and it's almost and it becomes it almost to be honest it becomes lazy and a bit and to an audience going back to a populist audience you go everyone just goes what uh, and it's just sort of you know it sort of seems sort of tangential and I think obviously as we also know in our industry we go are you doing this because you think it's easier to win awards this way um, and and so I think the whole thing has become slightly which is a bit discredited um, and and I think, as I say, I think purpose is important for businesses and brands. But at the same time, I think when it becomes your sort of go-to for advertising, it's just it, there's a there's a as I say, I think I think it become a bit lazy. And I do think, to me, the most important thing is how are you going to engage that widest possible audience. And as we know, entertainment is a very is is, is a very is a can be a very powerful tool. And it is interesting as a set of brands at Leo's, we 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 don't tend to do much sort of serious stuff you know in terms of you know worthy um and and i don't know if being about populist creativity and reaching those broadest audience whether that actually is sort of is connected to the fact that we don't do that stuff that um because we know that wouldn't really move businesses forward i think from the consumer's point of view it's just hygiene you know i just think the consumer expect and and if you say you do it and you don't they it's really easy to find out i agree and sometimes it's yeah exactly it's sort of i'm, I'm pleased you've got that but it's not going to make me buy your product uh, and, and just, so, so you know so so what's why are, you, why are you wasting all that money on that yeah yeah i think they just have an expectation i have a i have an 18 year old daughter i think her expectations of companies is just well you should do that anyway you know it's it's just why why do you you surely you're not expecting me to buy that as a badge and her and her friends love entertaining advertising. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, because you know, I mean, we always, you know, never forget that we're interrupting someone else's, you know, some content elsewhere. Um, so you've got to earn the right to 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 you know talk to consumers, and um, and entertainment is a very very powerful way of doing that. There's no doubt. I'm very intrigued by Cannes this year. I feel like it was very purpose last year with the awards. Yeah. But you can feel that there's almost the sort of whether it's you know and I hate that thing where we sort of we go oh it's all this or no it's now all that because it's sort of as I say there's a place for lots of things but 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 there's definitely does obviously there has been a, quite a backlash hasn't there and I think to to the sort of purpose that, and I just think it is and as I say I think it had become almost ridiculous that some of the brands that were sort of trying to be successful on the back of their purpose I just you go I can't imagine that's going to really 
make people want to buy your product when they're at the shelf. Karen, not to make you feel uncomfortable, um, but in the words of our judges, they said, Karen has fundamentally changed the way we think about cinema advertising, which is high praise. <laughs> um, with DCM open and able to trade again, what do you think the future holds for cinema advertising? I think it's almost, I'd say, thinking about Charlie's work, Charlie's agency's work, is to show great advertising on the big screen. And I think our job is to really distill what we're good at. And um, I think, unsurprisingly, we do attention really well and we reach young audiences better than anyone else. So over half our audience are under 35. So I think it's distilling our key selling points and making really easy to understand is my job and then talking to everybody. And I think we're working on some uh, propositions at the moment and I think we, we're we about to tell the market. And I think we we think you should start with cinema as a medium for three different reasons. One, if you're launching a brand. One, two, if you're relaunching. Or three, if you have a difficult message. And I think those are the things we can say we do really, really well. And I think I've been in media long enough to everyone's doing, we do everything for everybody. And I think that's just not helpful. For clients I think having a very distinct proposition is is what is really helpful for creatives and for clients and I think that what and I think if we if we just did that in cinema our business would grow for the next few years we're never going to be mass medium we're never going to be what we really clear be really clear about what we do and as most strategies both strategies the best strategies are the are the ones where you're really clear what you don't do and I think I'm going to be really clear is start with cinema for these three things and then what I would encourage what I'd love to see and talking to sort of Charlie and sort of Leo Burnett is we have a uh, in total we have 12 minutes before a film so we have 10 minutes of an ad reel a silver spot and a gold spot I would love to see a bit more adventure around people making a three-minute gold spot, a B, a B movie before the A movie, some bespoke cinema advertising, and just in a few films. You know, one of the things we have got is we know our schedule 18 months out, so we know all the films for the end of this year and into the half of next year to come and work with the McDonald's team and just going, wouldn't it be great if we took this film, so Wonka is in Christmas, and did a bespoke ad before that film for McDonald's, make it three minutes long, and, and it will just, going back to, it will just be fun. I like your focus, your the, your pro, the focus around your proposition, because I think that sort of really rings true with, with, with Leo's as well in terms of the danger you can sometimes be is you go well we can do everything for everybody and it just it just is I mean I think people do that when obviously when you're lacking confidence it's just um but that that clarity Karen I really like that obviously I also like the idea of a three-minute film obviously I, I, <laughs> especially in the cinema yeah, exactly absolutely in cinema we should chat Charlie because I think also if you if you just take one film, it's not going to break the bank. No, 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 no. I mean, this is not going to McDonald's. You need twenty-five million pounds no, to do no, this. No, no. But also, I mean, I love, I love, you know, and you know, again, it's just sort of finding new creative opportunities. Um, and obviously, cinema is such a beautiful place to be showing your work. Yeah, 
So that's that's what I would love to see. I'd love to be, so at the moment, 90% of our ads or 95% are just straight TV ads. I'd love that to be a less. I'd love to be here in three years' time going, do you know what? I've got this and this and this and this, and they were all just made for cinema. So I'm looking forward to the three-minute McDonald's ad. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to work <laughs> when on it that. hits. I'll brief it as soon yeah, as we I'm finish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Finally, I would say, Charlie, obviously we've talked a lot about Leo Burnett, um, but I, I introduced you as the chief exec of Leo Burnett, but it's not just that. Um, I missed out Fallon and more recently Puppis's Poke uh, following the departure of John Hadfield. So I know you're still in very early days, but I just wanted to ask, how is that going? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when I was already looking after Fallon, which is like a sort of sub subsidiary of um, uh, of Leo's anyway. So, but in terms of Puppis's Poke, yeah, it's been it's been exciting. It's been great getting to know another agency. Um, and uh, very different in terms of, I think what, what excites me is I think there's a very different proposition there to Leo's. Um, it, might, it might need a bit more uh, sharpening, personally. I think it might need that. But um, So that, that excites me because I think it, it can be very complementary to Leo's. And obviously, it's sort of still working within the group, so, I, so I'm very obviously familiar with how we work. So that, that's an advantage too. Just at the moment, having to get used to going backwards and forwards on the central line between White City and Chancery Lane, is, which is slightly stressful. Um, but but um, no, I'm really, really enjoying it and I'm meeting some really good people, you know, and, and, and you know, you know what it's like in our world. We, we, and the reason why the, the agency of the year thing is really important, actually, is because it, it forces you to get your head out of your own agency and look around in the rest of the industry. And, um, and sort of obviously me getting to know publicist poke is really exciting getting to know another agency in another part of the industry and some different clients and you know, some some great people too so um i'm enjoying it but yeah as you say it's early days and um yeah looking forward to see what i see looking forward to seeing how how we can take it forward but also how we can make sure it sits complementary to leo's which i think is would, would naturally work so you're single-handedly keeping the tfl open <laughs> Exactly. I am literally. I it, so. it is literally going backwards and forwards. It's like, it, and it's weird. It's weirdly sort of. It's sort of. It's a sort of irritating amount of time because it's about half an hour, and just go. It's just enough time to be. Oh God, do I need to jump on the tube? But um, could yeah, I move to Chancery Lane beyond the cards? <laughs> it would suit me personally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, and that's all that matters. Yes. No. Um, no. Um, I mean, char- char- when you're doing the pros, yeah. <laughs> for me, yeah, I can just sort the pros out. The uh, the, uh, the chancery lane's pretty full right now, so it would be quite tricky. But who knows? Who knows in the future? I'm, I mean, these things are never fixed, are they? So we'll see what happens in the future. But it would certainly make my life a lot easier. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for. Thanks to Charlie and Karen for joining us today. Thanks, Imogen. Thank you so much. On to the final part of this podcast, I'd like to introduce Dan Fisher, Global Executive Creative Director, Unilever and Special Projects at Ogilvy, and Noelle Hamilton, Executive Creative Director at Neverland, who join me to review some of the latest work. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Imogen. So first up, we have Apple's latest film, Quiet the Noise, which sees it collaborate with the French director group Megaforce through uh, Iconoclast LA. So in typical Megaforce style, there's a lot of floating in the film to demonstrate the noise cancelling capabilities of its AirPods Pro. A noisy city scene floats above a young woman who is unable, unable to cause her annoyance thanks to her AirPods, which drown out the noise. Let's have a listen.
Dan, are you a fan of Megaforce? Do you think this delivered? I am a fan of Megaforce, and I do think it delivered. I think, um, I mean, Apple always tend to deliver. I think it's a great, great brand. And I think, yeah, I thought this one, I thought the craft was just amazing on this one. I thought, I thought that it done by a different director, by a lesser director, could have been not such a great film, but it was just it was masterfully done. So yeah, I'm a big fan of this one. Mm. Noel? Uh, I'm going to have to echo that. Uh, I thought it was uh, fantastic. Um, but, you know, considering it's Apple and Megaforce coming together, I, it, it, I would say it met my expectations um, because you expect those two coming together to create something amazing. So uh, loved it, um, but expected to love it. Yeah, it's the sort of precedent that Megaforce has started where I dread the day they bring out a really bad ad. Um, I think everyone's heart will be broken. I also loved the track. I've been personally trying to use that song in an ad for a long time. Um, yeah, specifically a re-recording of it. Um, and have presented, have, I've presented that track quite a few times. Um, and uh, so I'm a little bit bummed that it was stolen from me, but uh, I'll let it go because it was, it was done really well. It was on one of the Pixies version was like my top one of my top Spotify tracks. I am obsessed with that song, so I I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. I also liked how they I liked how they structured the ad where they started with, you know, something to really draw you in, and then they took it down to the ground, and then it went back up again. I think um, not everyone would have gone with that uh, flow of the ad. They might have started with everything normal and then started floating up. But I, I just I appreciated how they uh, how it all unfolded. It's quite a clever, simple switch, but actually way more effective. Absolutely. On to Coca Cola's masterpiece. I, I just say I said that I just had a sip of Coca Cola, and it's not that we're sponsored by them at, at all. I just like the flavor. Um, so we're on to Coca Cola's masterpiece by Blitzwork, directed by Henry Schofield through Academy Films. The film sees a bottle of, of Coca Cola journey from canvas to canvas in an art gallery inserting it within some of art history's greatest masterpieces, including Johannes Vermeer's Girl with the Pearl Earring, Van Gogh's Bedroom in Arles, and J.M.W. Turner's The Shipwreck. Noel, were you a fan? I actually was a fan um, because I think, well, number one, the, the craft level was very high. And I think if you're talking about art and museums, you have to make sure that you don't piss anyone off when it comes to the the original art and you want to be true to, you know, the essence of those pieces. So I'm sure that they had uh, their work cut out for them. Um, but what I think I liked it because to me, it made me feel nostalgic. I don't know why it, it, it kind of harks back to, you know, big, uh, enjoyable Coke ads of the past. I think they really just, um, set out to make a big enjoyable ad and that's what they did and it felt very coca-cola in its in its um style and there was a bit i I can't tell you why it felt nostalgic to me but it did i i think well i i'm judging cleo's craft at the moment so i've got my i've got my craft hat on and i look at things when i when i saw this for the first time i was in the middle of judging i'm doing it sadly remotely but um yeah, I instinctively wanted to give it like almost like nine or ten out of ten because it just everything else I realised I wasn't judging it. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a it's an amazing piece of craft, and it it must have taken a lot of planning, and I think they pulled it off. As Noel said, I think it does feel very coke, and it could easily have not have felt coke because it's all it's quite highbrow sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I thought the way they they went on that journey was just really well done, and 
yeah, I think it's um, interesting that the director is Henry Schofield, someone I've seen since the beginning of his career, and he's really coming up. And I think this is his sort of entry to the big to the big stage. But yeah, it, it's a great spot. You're almost kind of just thinking off what you just said, Noel, makes me think of the Kubrick Gucci work in a sense that it could be so sacrilegious if done wrong. And there's a lot of people who would be very upset if handled wrongly, but obviously you're you're dealing with some massive masterpieces, but to pull it off in that way. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not an art connoisseur, so if you ask someone who knows art better <laughs> than me, they might have a different answer. Um, but it was it was it was interesting to see and, and also very smart because you get a Coke bottle basically in every single shot, almost. So it's one of those things where they they've really figured it out where you could get the product in there but still have it be uh, a bit magical. I'm very intrigued on the budget. It feels like a lot of money went into it. I'm sure, it was yeah. decent. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they had to sell a couple of cokes to pay for it. Sure was decent. Uh, next up, we have Amazon Prime's Tash by Wedding and Kennedy London. Uh, it was shot by Don't Worry Darling and Book Smart director Olivia Wilde for anonymous content. And the film sees a young girl embrace some unwanted facial hair. Um, and she's inspired to keep the tash after seeing the likes of Eddie Murphy, Frida Kahlo and Freddie Mercury also sporting um, some facial hair. So instead of buying the hair removal, as you might presume she would be at the beginning, she ends up ordering a Mercury inspired jacket on Amazon Prime. Dan, what did you think? I wanted to like this one more than I did. And I, I sort of watched it and I felt like it didn't quite land... I thought it was really interesting and, and, and I like to sort of create an idea of it, but I just didn't feel like it quite landed for me when I was like, I wanted to like it more. I felt it had a, I felt slightly contrived and, and I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't quite, maybe because the previous two I've just talked about are so, it really hit the bar hard so high. Hard acts to follow. Hard acts to follow. And yeah, it just didn't quite landed for me and I felt it wasn't quite getting the quirkiness that could have been in it and it just didn't quite so yeah I I like it but I, if I'm being critical I, I felt like it was it was not quite hitting the right spots that's my personal opinion yeah Noel do you agree I think maybe I liked it a bit more than than Dan did um the two things that I like about it number one it has it has swagger I don't know I I think I think it had such a nice um, personality come through the ad that didn't necessarily feel forced. I could see how they could, if they tipped it over just a little more quirky, I think I would have found it a bit too try hard, but I think they got the balance right for me, um, in terms of, of that, of that quirkiness and that swagger. And I just, I, I love the originality in it. I think a story about a teenager, teenage girl with a mustache embracing it, um, in order to encompass all of the the offerings that Amazon has, I thought was very smart because you give that to someone else, give that brief to someone else, and they might just go automatically to a vignette ad and show all the different things that Amazon does. But they tied up all of the all of those offerings under one kind of simple story. So I liked that about it. I did like mm. that about it. Almost in a way, I didn't even realize it was happening. So it like pieced it together towards the end. You're like, oh. Exactly. Exactly. It was done. I think it was done nicely. I think it wasn't, it wasn't completely seamless. You could tell when they were sort of pushing, you know, the Amazon music, for example, and, and all the other things and her ordering the jacket online. It, it's not that it wasn't obvious, but I think it fit well and it didn't, 
it didn't disrupt the flow of the ad for me. So I think that 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 was done that was done quite quite well. I uh, finally we have Guinness Make It a St. Patrick's Day to Remember by Abbott Mead Vickers BBDO. Set to Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler, the film shows a group of pints with faces in the foam. And as the beverages sing the tune in a dramatic sequence, um, it's promoting their non-alcoholic variant, Guinness 2.0. It was directed by Scott Kelly through Red Studios. Noelle, any thoughts? Is it as good as AMV's Guinness ads of the past? So I've I've seen the um, other aspects of this campaign. They did a really, really smart thing where they took all the pubs that start with an O and they put their 0.0 instead of the O. And I thought that was really, really clever. And then I saw this and I, can I be blunt and say that I didn't like it at all? Um, I I thought that it felt a bit silly for, for Guinness. It felt like just tonally a complete departure from where Guinness has been in the past. Guinness is known for being um, quite cinematic. Uh, and and uh, I think that there was just a bit of silliness in this one that I, that I didn't expect and I didn't feel was a right role for the brand personally. And I know that it's their non-alcohol version, so I'm sure they're trying to perhaps separate the two uh, and, and give it its own tone of voice. Um, but I thought it was way too much of a departure um, for them. I also thought it just, it, it kind of poked fun at the product itself, which uh, I think of Guinness and I think of it as a, as a thing of beauty. Um, and, and to mess with that, I, it's just not what I would have done. Uh, sorry to be harsh. <laughs> Go ahead. Dan, what do you think? Do you agree? No, I, I, I agree. I think I read the blurb before. I had not seen it. And I read the blurb and I thought, okay, Guinness, zero alcohol, St. Patrick's Day. There's going to be something really interesting coming out of this. And I, I was surprised to see what had happened. And Noel was sort of touching on that. I think Guinness, the work always had a certain gravitas and a certain sort of intelligence. And you'd think with those ingredients, for zero alcohol, Guinness, St. Patrick's Day, it would just take you somewhere really interesting. And I was surprised that this is where they ended up. I haven't seen the other aspect of the campaign that Noel talked about, but they, they do sound interesting. But um, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed. I was really, AMV, great agency, they've done great work on this brand continuously, historically. And um, yeah, and St. Patrick's Day, as I say, zero alcohol. I, I just felt it was going to give me something else. And I was surprised at the tone, like Noel said, I thought the tone was, not what I was expecting. Is it because they're doing a zero alcohol thing? They're trying to, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily think you'd need to separate totally. I think, I, I, yeah, it wasn't, not, not for me. And it was done well. I mean, from a, from a purely craft perspective, I mean, they, they, they pulled it off quite well. Um, if you're going to make foam sing, uh, then, you know, they, they did that quite well. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, they, they're very much addressing the, drinking aspect of St. Patrick's Day uh, because the line I think is make this a St. Patrick's Day to remember, which is implying that most people just get, you know, shit faced on St. Patrick's Day when it, it is, it is, uh, it, you know, it is a holiday that's about a little bit more than drinking. <laughs> so I think they, they um, in many ways overlooked that aspect of, of what St. Patrick's Day is about. Thank you both for coming on and let me know your thoughts about some recent ads. Thank you so much, Imogen. Thank you.
If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. Details of our subscriptions are available at www.campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks to my guests, Charlie Rudd, Karen Stacey, Dan Fisher, Noelle Hamilton and Gurdjit Deegan. A big thank you to Haymarket Studio Manager Nav Pal and to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. And also to you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. Goodbye.